0: Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today on the Transformers Reanimated Podcast. I will be your host, Yoshi, and with me is the very talented Lee Sullivan. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine. Uh, 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 Liking the introduction. That's very nice. Thank you. (laughs) You're very welcome. Uh, Mr. Lee Sullivan, for those of you who are listening, was very kind to work with us on the cover of Issue 5, A Transformers Christmas Carol. And uh, I don't know if you've been following the website or listening to our previous episodes, Mr. Sullivan, but people are
1: praising the heck out of this cover. Oh, that's very kind. Uh, I I haven't because, in a sense, (laughs) I I wanted to see if the the reaction I assumed would come back through you, and I wouldn't be embarrassed by going to see a lot of people criticizing it, so uh, I, I try not to chase things down like that. But I'm very pleased to hear that people like it.
0: I'm, a, I'm somebody who has gotten really into, in the last 10 years, I guess, uh, collecting and commissioning comic book sketch covers. Right. And um, I, from my point of view, I was looking at your body of work and presented you the original concept for the cover. And not only did you meet that expectation, you creatively blew it out of the water. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass here. I, I genuinely love comic book art, and what you did was breathtaking. And
1: I sincerely thank you, sir. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, the thing is that when you are uh, commissioned to do something, I mean. I guess most people want to do the best work they can um and uh, you know it was it was a nice idea uh and I just saw it straight away like that and I knew how I would have done it in the past uh, that I'm sort of hardwired to draw in a certain way and a certain sort of level of dynamics um and although it's been a huge amount of time since uh my original uh work on transformers back in g1 times before it was g1 of course we just called it transformers um uh, you know the, the kind of thing that i did then um was right from the gut uh so i would reflexively draw things in a dynamic way and so when you gave me the commission it was easy to just do the same thing really
0: well, it turned out absolutely beautiful, and I personally couldn't be more pleased with it. I, I know you travel to cons from time to time, so when was the last time you did some Transformers work, be it a commission or officially?
1: Um, Well, I've done various things for a couple of uh, UK Transformers conventions. I've not been to a, an American convention uh, specifically. I did San Diego a million years ago, but that was to do with um, RoboCop and Tech World. I think when I was working on those things for Marvel, um, but I didn't do any Transformers for the U.S., so there was no, you know, there was no impetus to take us over there. <laughs> they wouldn't have paid anyway, cheapskates. So, uh, sorry to to answer your question uh, properly. Um, I, I guess about seven, eight, nine years ago, since I was also assembly i did something for and um and i'm doing uh transformers nation later on this year so maybe i'll do something for that too uh next year i should say oh, gosh we're already, already into muddling up which year is which in 2020
0: right i'm i'm definitely trying to build up a bank so i can come over to uh tf nation and experience it i've heard nothing but great things about it
1: yeah I've, me too actually it's it seems to be very um on a, another level of being organized in which there are contracts and all kinds of things so it's um it's rather interesting to see the development of these kind of events you know. how how
0: did how did you get into comic book art because from the research i've done whether it's accurate or not, it seems that you were trained in uh, y- you were trained in wildlife art weren't you
1: yeah i I, I did a uh, i'd always I grew up reading comics and really quite passionately wanting to draw them. Um, I then went to college, what they call the Further Education College here, which had a specific illustration course because my you know I was drawing, 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 and so that seemed wasn't much good at anything else, so I decided I'd uh, make that my profession. Um, and that course was basically about wildlife and technical illustration. So one day we would be drawing uh, little garden birds, doing paintings of those. Another day we'd be doing cutaway drawings of engines for cars and things like that. So we, we had quite an, an interesting spread of things, but they were quite disparate. So you would have, you know, a, a sort of painterly approach to things and also a very hard uh, drawing um, regime, um, which which kind of stood me in good stead when I came ultimately to doing comics because comics you have to draw everything there isn't anything you don't get to draw in comics um and so you have to be pretty good all round at perspective and automobiles and uh, and you know hawks and flying guys and people in spandex and people in clothes um everything under the sun gets to be in a comic so it was pretty good training um although it really I, I i drew a comic called rivers of london up till fairly recently uh and in one of the episodes of that uh actually the two things came together on one page i had to draw some uh, ducks or geese flying off the river and the background to it was th- that was superimposed over a background of a car engine <laughs> I thought finally after forty years <laughs> that training has finally kicked in, you know. Full circle. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So so you said you were in university and you were submitting your art to Marvel and DC, or how did that door actually open for you?
1: Oh well no. I, I was fairly um Just naive, uh, unaware of how to do any of that because, as far as I was concerned, Marvel and DC were in America and it might as well have been the moon back in those days. We're talking about 19. 19, Well, I was about mid 1970s when I was at college uh, and I left around 78, something like that. Um, To get any kind of stuff over to America, I, I just had no idea how to do it. I hadn't really done any proper comics samples. I did try. Um I went into an agency in in London, uh, which did have some people on their books, a comics artist, and I I did do a couple of uh samples, really because Doctor Who magazine had suddenly uh, appeared, or Doctor Who Weekly as it was then. Dave Gibbons was drawing it, uh and David Lloyd was drawing backup strips for it. Um and I thought, that's my job. Uh someone has got my job i should be drawing doctor who a big doctor who fan uh, from 1963 onwards um and because that had happened i i was m- motivated into there was that was marvel uk as well so i thought there's, there's more chance of me approaching these people but rather stupidly i didn't send them to marvel uk i went into this agent because i thought that's you had to work through an agent um and that really isn 't the case with comics it, it used to be, but but by the time I came in, it was very, very few people working with agents because um, there's very little money in the industry, and it's you know, that 's a, that's a percentage people don 't want to give away um, and i thought uh, yeah I, I I took them to this agency and they said, "Well, they look a bit American to us, so we can 't really help you with it and So I looked to American uh for them so that would kind of cut that out and i was just disheartened and there were other things going on i was starting to freelance as a an advertising illustrator anyway and i got work i was already working as a uh, an illustrator at british aerospace which was a uh, uh, guided weapons uh, 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 manufacturer um and i worked there for five years whilst i was doing doing the samples but I kind of thought, oh, well, it's just not going to happen. And so I kind of I shelved them. Um, and I thought, well, you know, okay, I, I drew some samples. That was fun. I'll never do those again. Uh, I also met David Lloyd, actually, because uh, David Lloyd is the, uh, the artist behind uh, V for Vendetta. So everybody has seen his artwork, even if they haven't read a comic, because that image of Guy Fawkes' uh, the mask... It's literally across the globe, um, but I met him at a Doctor Who convention, and I said to him i 'm a professional illustrator i 'm interested in working comics what are the paid what are the page rates what do what do they pay and he told me, and I was so scandalized by how terrible they were uh, I just thought i 'm not going to do that for a living that's you can 't make a living out of comics um, and pretty much i 've proved that to be the case over the years. <laughs> It's, it's you, you do so much more work than you get in pay in relation, in comparison with advertising and other outlets, commercial outlets. Uh, and there are various reasons for that. Um, uh, but it, And it always seems unfortunate to me that the more you want to do something, the less they want to pay you. <laughs> but uh, in the end... Um, uh, so that it really just killed my interest in doing it and it wasn't until i had been freelancing i left british aerospace and i freelanced for a few years uh i think about 3 or 4 years before i started uh i met john higgins who again was colorist on watchmen um with dave gibbons and uh you know it, uh, so he was uh, a friend of mine who was always already working in the industry and he said come along with me he used to frequently go in to see editors at Marvel UK and Fleetway who produced, um, 2000 AD, big, uh, British comic here. Um, and so he took me in and I met, uh, Ian Rimmer and Simon Furman, uh, at Marvel UK. Uh, and I think Ian was looking after Transformers at the time and Simon was writing and maybe assistant editing. I can't remember now. Um, but they interviewed me, basically looked at my work and just said, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll give you some covers to do perhaps. Because I'd got a lot of illustrative work rather than comic strip work. I'd got airbrush paintings and that, that kind of stuff. So they gave me one to do and then I was suddenly working for, for Marvel UK. Do you remember what that first piece was? Uh, yeah, uh, it was uh, a cover on... Oh, gosh, I can't remember the, the number of the thing. It's something like 80... Issue 80-something or other, I think. Um, it was uh, two... I have no idea who they were now. Because <laughs> I didn't know any of them at the time. I I, I had no idea what Transformers were. I, I had absolutely no clue about that stuff. I'd missed entirely that there was this huge phenomenon going on. But, you know, with, with younger guys. Um, so it, it, it passed me by completely. I didn't understand they were huge... And that they change sizes and all that stuff i, I couldn't figure them out at all um but I, basically two guys slugging it out next to an auto route uh so uh, there were some small cars and they're looming and i did a very dark stormy greeny background which printed very badly and the production guy Jez Mityard, said to me uh yeah lovely cover lee but uh Stay away from those muddy colours. And so I immediately changed my whole palette to be bright and uh, kind of zingy, very pure looking colours using airbrush over line artwork. And everybody was very happy with those. And so I think by cover three, I was doing, you know, really essentially the same thing that I did for you uh, the other week. Gotcha.
0: Well, for those of you listening, I have you down for UK Transformers issue 92.
1: Oh, that, that's easily about right, yeah. Okay. I, for some reason, I think it's because it was in the 1980s, so the 80 thing sticks in my head more than the actual number of the issue. Do, um, have, you, have you, you, You're you by no means going to offend me, but have
0: you developed a love for the Transformers or the franchise over the years? Have you read any of the books? Do you enjoy being part of the mythos now, or are you just like this was fun and on to the next thing?
1: Well, I, I guess it's a mixture of those things, but um, it, it depends when you ask me that question as to what I would have replied. Uh, um, at the time, I couldn't—I just didn't understand. I didn't get them at all, but I knew that um, I knew they were very popular, uh, and although they that. <sighs> The Marvel, a lot of the Marvel titles, Marvel UK titles, were for younger children, and uh, they were looked down upon in the industry generally um, by, uh, I suppose, well, even now, my contemporaries, because they, um, because they were for a lower age group and they were not dealing with uh, with issues and that kind of stuff. They, they were just. Not regarded at all. Um, so I, I knew I was working on something that had no kudos at all, um, at the time. But going back into my own history, I remember reading comics when I was six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, that may have not been considered to be cool, either. But the audience at that stage, it's so important to them. You. Know, you will know this all of you guys out there it's so important to you when they when you first come across those things uh it doesn't matter whether it's cool or not it's cool to you and so you know I knew that that would have the same effect and I, I also knew that even though we didn't and we never did meet the people we were uh, drawing them for at the time because there were no conventions then uh yeah, <laughs> they were you were all too young <laughs> to go to conventions anyway that sort of stuff hadn't started yet but um i knew that these would collect kudos later on if that they were good in themselves and because you've got a great writer like simon um working on that stuff absolutely dedicated to to the the subject and crafting interesting and dynamic storylines um i knew it was going to be okay if we did some good work then we would be remembered, you know, by, in our dotage, which is, of course, where I am now, uh, uh, you know, we'd be remembered fondly by the people that were reading at the time. So, uh, although I didn't give it much, you know, I, I didn't love the Transformers, I just, I didn't really understand them. Um, my knowledge of them was very brief. And in fact, I would started working on, on covers before I even saw the first my first uh, animated uh um, transformers thing in fact the only thing i've ever really seen to date thinking about it a lot, um, sort of semi live action was the uh the original transformers the movie um because the characters i was working on Galvatron uh, and so on they were all you know unicron and and, and that lot retgar they all seem to come out of the transformers the movie um uh thing and so i saw that we, we had a vi- when the videotape of that was released I, <laughs> that was the first time i actually i went out and bought it and i could see uh what what we were dealing with really i just i they yeah and and but i knew that they were terribly popular and, and i bought because i was kind of amused by it i bought one i bought a hot rod i think uh and at one Christmas or someone bought it for me for Christmas I think my, probably my wife bought it for me to, for Christmas and m- on Christmas day myself my father and my uncle just sat around for the whole evening playing with the thing because it was so fascinating so I, I did start to get what the thing was because I would have been absolutely def- definitely a fan of Transformers if I had been 10 years old that no doubt about it that would have that would have been a totally different thing and then there's a sort of period afterwards where you work on something and then you leave it behind and you work on other things. I, I Transformers led to me immediately, almost immediately, once I started doing comic strips for Transformers, but that's that's another story. But we I went on to doing Doctor Who, which is what I wanted to do in the first place. I sort of catapulted from from where I didn't want to be, i.e. Transformers, into absolutely where I wanted to be, directly as a result of Transformers, so I'm very grateful to them just for that. But, you know, you go on to do that, and then I worked for Marvel US, and that was all lovely, and Transformers just sort of was background noise to me, Um, and I wasn't embarrassed by it, but I just didn't really really think about it very much um, uh, because I was working on other projects, and actually it wasn't until probably the early 2000s and people started to come of age and start to um p- put conventions and fan books and things together and i started to realize that actually our audience is actually catching up with us now and, and sooner or later they'll track us down you know and they have and here you are
0: yeah look at this yeah I uh, I want to say one thing. Your friend Simon Furman really did take the mythos seriously, and just a few months ago released a prequel comic to the original Transformers comic. And the man has not lost his touch one ounce, and is a phenomenal writer. And I I truly enjoyed that book. And as a fan, I am so grateful he takes it so seriously.
1: Yeah, he's he's always been a. F- I was always absolutely amazed. I mean, he's a slightly younger chap than me. Uh, uh, but I could see absolutely... He had an absolute grasp. But well, I could never understand how he had the grasp of what, what was going on. When we were working on Transformers, we, uh, the, to explain to, I don't know if the US guys know this stuff, but the UK comics came out weekly... And they divided up month the monthly U.S. issues. Uh, but because after a while you used up all that material, because we were you know, churning out more pages per month than the U.S. were, they, that's why there were British comics st- strips generated in the first place. And Simon had to take all the stuff that the, the American guys were writing, acknowledge that, and then bolt onto it and around it stories that wouldn't interfere too much with the main things that were going on in the u.s strip and wouldn't contradict things particularly although he he did get away with that sometimes um but he had to hold all of those stories in his head whilst creating new stories and then allow for stuff that was coming up further down the line which he probably knew about as well and also the things like the movie and uh, other things that were going on so and also we had to kind of introduce new transformers about every uh, you know few months because the the you know, they would actually, Hasbro would bring out more toys. And so you'd suddenly find you'd got the wreck car, uh, the, um, oh, I can't remember what they're called now. The fish guys. I can't remember what they were The Seacons. No. The Seacons, yes, that's right. So, no, no. That, that
0: must sound ridiculous. No, I mean, but, um, you're illustrating I, the problem. Hasbro kept pumping stuff out, and and writers and artists had to accommodate that at a
1: furious pace. Yeah. I think my least favorite period was where we had to do. The guys that split in half. I oh, know, was pretenders! The- yeah. Oh, <laughs> that was, I, I, I didn't approve of those at the time. <laughs> but but what, what do I know? Uh, but it was. Um, but I started on covers uh, for those initially. I did a whole run of covers um, up to and you know, around probably beyond two, issue two hundred. I think I did the two hundred wraparound cover. I can remember that because I had to airbrush the the letters 200 into the middle of this drawing it was you know if that's how we did it in those days it all had to be done by hand um and uh but I didn't actually initially do or even approach them to do comic strip work um and I did start to talk we 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 socialized about once a month we I'd go down to London and we would sit around in a pub and um you know raise a few uh and during those conversations I think one time I said to Simon I'd quite like to do comic strip do you think you could you know is it possible that I could be you know considered for that and he said well you've got no no samples I said okay I said well I've really I'm too lazy a person to just sit around drawing samples <laughs> I, I'll do something if I'm commissioned and that will f- light a fire under my tail and I'll I'll do something about it and he ummed and about that and I said well look if if you give me a story that's a long way in advance that you've got for an annual or something i'll draw and commission me to do it if i if i turn up with the pages and you don't like them you don't have to pay me and you can get someone else to do it for you uh and of course be bearing in mind that the whole of the publishing industry is terribly worried about money that seemed like a very good deal to simon so it was it was a win-win situation um and so he said, okay, and that's how I did my first strip, but even so, I'd asked him a year prior to that, and he'd given me a script, uh, and I just couldn't do anything with it, I I, I realised how little I knew about drawing comic strips, uh, when I sat down to try and work out, it's just a sequence of someone coming towards you, and you know, a few things happening, and I just, I don't know what, to, I just don't know what to do with this, so I actually then started looking at comics generally but particularly Transformers very carefully to see how it was being done because it's a series of tricks you know people standing in the right order in order to have uh, the word balloons uttered in the right sequence and just little things like that and and I eventually thought okay I'm ready now and I approached Simon and then he gave me the stuff and that was in a Transformers um we have things over here hardback annuals which uh, is tradition in British um, uh, publishing, uh, which would basically be some text stories and some some strip and various bits and pieces, and sold at a fairly high price to uh, unsuspecting uh, children's uh, parents uh, when they were desperate to get something for Christmas. Um, And uh, the first strip I did was in that, which was a meeting between um, Galvatron and Megatron, uh, and uh, it was called Altered Image, and um, uh, that was quite good fun. And I stole everything from it, uh, basically, from Jeff Senior, because uh, I, I, I mean, everybody was doing such great work, but Jeff's style to me was the one that appealed to me most. And I thought, right, he knows what he's doing here, and the way he would bend, you know, characters around, and, and a frighteningly quick artist. And you can see that in the dynamics. Um and I just thought, well, I can't go wrong. If I try and copy him and and it comes out looking like my stuff, great, you know. Um and that's basically what I did. I keep telling him that. Uh but I never give him any money.
0: He's a good guy. I've had the pleasure of commissioning a few sketch covers from him. Ah, good, good. Yeah. Um so this opened the door for what at the time was your dream gig, Doctor Who, correct?
1: Yeah. Um Absolutely directly, yeah, yeah, because I did. Um, I think the first strip in the weekly that I did, uh, which appeared before the, the annual strip that I did late uh, did previously because of the publishing schedule, um, which was called Salvage, and that was, uh, that had a cameo by Richard Branson, who's, uh, you may be aware is, um, the head of Virgin everything um, across the globe and he at the time there was a thing margaret thatcher the prime minister had reinstituted something that had been born in the 1960s in england which was called i'm backing britain absolute nonsense but it was a, a campaign to try and get people you know interested in britain. And, and 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 this was keep britain tidy as well that was sort of amalgam amalgamated into it and so the idea was that branson was kind of a figurehead of that so we had him simon had him someone like him cameoing uh as two transformers are pulled out of the river thames uh locked in uh in a rusty uh embrace um and it was kind of like a, a riff on keeping britain tidy and uh <laughs> so the, the script said a branson like person so i just for fun in the in the roughs um i just drew richard branson you know i thought well that looks branson like and they then simon had the idea well that's that's great actually what if we actually approached branson and uh see if he'd actually let his likeness be used and so they did that, and of course, being the shy, retiring kind of individual that he isn't, uh, he said yes. So um, we we did put Richard Branson in it. Uh, we named him, um, and uh, uh, it 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 got quite a lot of publicity. It was in several things. The one I remember particularly was um, the New Musical Express, which was like the coolest uh, rock paper in England at the time. Uh, had a picture. Had a little. Piece of it saying, I think it said something like, um, "crap children's comic Transformers features crap," you know, entre- record entrepreneur. So it, it it did its job, you know. Uh, but that was that was how the comic was regarded by by the coolest uh, music paper, now defunct. So there you go. Uh, but um, that likeness. I mean, the reason I'm saying this: the likeness of Branson. I I assumed that all artists could do likenesses uh, and it never occurred to me that they couldn't. But apparently not everyone can do them. So the Doctor Who thing, because Richard Starkings was the overall editor of the boys' comics at the time at Marvel UK, he saw that and said, ah, okay." and we had been talking about Doctor Who because I wanted to work on it. And he had just got the editorial control over doctor who comic strips and wanted to do some rotation of artists and introduce some new people and i was selected to be one of those but when the likeness came in it is said, right okay doctor who is great we've also got a story there was one story that was uh, i was scheduled to do which was set on an island with i don't know a few aliens um but there was another story coming up which had seven doctors in it apparently seven doctors and apparently a load of his companions and so I suddenly I got that gig and so my first Doctor Who gig was drawing the first seven doctors and various dead companions all in the same strip that was the first comic strip I did with humans throughout or at least humanoids uh, so I kind of it just catapulted me and I I couldn't have got there any faster if I bribed someone, uh, and uh, believe me, I would have, but um, it 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 wasn't, it was so strange. And looking back on it now, it seemed very natural at the time because, of course, you know, they, we were all working in the same area, we were all talking about this stuff, and one thing seemed to be a natural progression from the other. But actually, looking back now, it was ridiculous because I went from a standing start. i I, I mean, that was my first... it it was my second comic strip catapulted me straight into doing Doctor Who and uh, I can't imagine any other circumstances where that would have happened so hooray for Transformers Uh, it it changed my um, and that led to doing stuff for America and and, you know uh, the rest is um, a mystery
0: so so here you are a super dr who fan and you're finally getting to work on the book now are you still a dr who fan or did that sour you to it with all the drawing you had to do and being exposed to the fandom or has it just strengthened it and you're a diehard now
1: uh well it kind of again it depends when you when you would ask me that question i would have a different answer i suppose um no it didn't it certainly didn't sell me at the time I was extremely lucky uh that at that very moment uh sorry Transformers fans if you're not interested in Doctor Who this is all going to be extremely dull but um Doctor Who had just reached the end of or was just about to reach the end of its uh first run on TV its original run uh after 26 years or something uh and I was there for the twenty-fifth anniversary. That was the Seven Doctors story, um, and it only survived one more season after that before it was taken off the air permanently, um, for the indefinite future, as we knew it at the time. So suddenly, the comic strip, because there were no other outlets of, of there was nothing else being generated at the time. Um, there were Doctor Who novelisations of past episodes, but there were no new. Doctor Who uh, uh, adventures anywhere else other than in the comic strip in Doctor Who magazine. Monthly it was at the time. Um, So it suddenly became the focus of a lot of attention. Uh, The fans had nothing new to look at. And the comic strip could do things that the TV show never could do. Um, You know, space battles. Well, I mean, obviously, the programme did its absolute level best with small budgets. But with comics, there is no budget. You can draw anything you like. Um, so I also had a huge love of the Doctor Who comic strips going back to their earliest incarnation in a thing called TV comic. Very, it's, it sounds damning, uh, rather crude drawings done by a guy called Neville Main, who probably did them in a 30 seconds flat. But they were... But they were magical to me. Again, I was the right age. I was seven when those appeared. Um, I was five when Doctor Who started. I was seven by the time the strips were out. And they they ran in parallel with the programme for me. I think that's something that, that people don't quite understand. Um, I, I'm sure your guys do, because if you you guys out there know this stuff. But you can actually have multiple versions of the same thing going on all the time. You've got the, in inverted commas, the real thing, which is on TV. But then you've got these other adventures, and they're almost as valid, because you kind of absorb them, and you can, with comics, you can go back and look at them again. At the time, um, when I was a child, you no video recorders, no repeats, so you you kind of had to take it in as it, and you you just it it came and it went. And sometimes you couldn't really remember much of it because by the time you're 10, you can't really remember much of what you saw when you were seven in great detail unless you've got hard copy to refer to. But of course, comics are hard copy. You can go back to them. You can go back and forth between pages. And uh, I used to lust after several pages of the original strip, <laughs> the TARDIS materialising. It's still it's still in my head now. Um because that stuff gets burnt into your head when you're that young, uh, and I, you know, so I had loved all that. So I got this whole tradition of comics, including you know Dave's considerable run on Doctor Who uh, Weekly, um, and I, I, I knew I was standing on the shoulders of giants uh, and loving it because the second story I got to do was Daleks, because the first thing had done very well. You know, people liked it seven doctors thing and so richard and i both being huge doctor uh, doctor who fans and dalek fans in particular because the daleks had their own separate comic strip history back in the 60s um we wanted to incorporate some of that and bring them in they suddenly got the rights to use them again uh, it all fell into place very nicely and i did a a, a comic strip about the daleks and the doctor uh and that got a lot of attention it has remained a sort of touchstone of my career really I suppose that the Transformers that particular strip in Doctor Who they all kind of they lodged in people's minds because that's all there was now if you you know comics there are dozens of Doctor Who comics it seems coming out every month and there's the series, and there's all the repeats, and there's all the DVDs, and there's all the Blu-rays. That you you can't move for Doctor Who now, but just then we, it was, it was just us, <laughs> three or four people, beavering away, you know, uh, and it it was. Uh,
0: Lovely time. You know, in my part of the world, most of my friends watch and love Doctor Who, and I sit in on their watching parties from time to time, and this includes my wife, who loves Doctor Who. When I go to the Seattle Comic Con, you can't walk down anywhere and not see at least one person dressed up as a doctor from here or there.
1: Yeah, it's an amazing transformation because for so long it was, I think it was quite popular on uh, PBS. Um, stations in America when Tom Baker was the Doctor but it it was really only ever a tiny cult I think in America then it's, it's it's a strange phenomenon now that it's become far bigger than it ever was in its original run I don't like it as much that's the trouble uh, but it's not because I don't like Doctor Who it's just that they do it in a way that I don't quite like um, and that that's not there that's not their problem it's because it's for a different audience you know but I still love the old stuff and I like the fact that it you know uh, it is a continuation I'm very pleased for its success it's great you
0: know? that's a that's what I like about a movie or a comic book or, or a novel for that matter nobody ruined your original doctor who I mean you can still go back and watch that you like it's 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 there you can go back and watch it
1: yeah I think I think there's a lot of that's an interesting point because there's an awful lot of people, uh, I I, I hesitate to say middle-aged old men like me, who had a lot of trouble with the uh, the the casting of a female doctor. Um, It it seemed kind of gratuitous to me, but but uh, you have to remember that um, it doesn't. a, it doesn't last forever, and B, not everybody loves the same doctors that you do anyway. So, I personally think that the first three, stroke four doctors are just the best, and there can't be anyone better than those. And in particular, Patrick Troughton, I I love, but you know that's his time, and I've seen loads of things where people just don't get him, don't like it, and you know they don't like those episodes. You just, you know, you're in a continuum with something like Doctor Who, so that it, it eventually it will roll round and, and there'll be something that you like, uh, and you might have to grit your snaggle teeth and uh, um, <laughs> just endure it if you if it's not going the way you like. I, there's a sort of there's a, a an, um, there's a sort of knowingness to it now, which I find difficult to like, um, but but that's kind of that's a meta thing that. In other things, I'm kind of happy with it. I don't really understand my approach to Doctor Who, really. Uh, um, I love the reiterations of Star Trek, including Discovery. Um, I'm, I'm a really big Star Trek fan, particularly of the original series. I don't mind at all that they've mucked around with that stuff. Um, I enjoy it because it has what I call swagger or joie de vivre. You know, it's got some kind of... It's got a real kind of cut and thrust to it. And I don't mind it being iconoclastic. I find that more difficult with Doctor Who and I don't really know why um but it you know regardless of what I think it continues on its merry way so um you know it will it it now will endure forever there's no there's no getting rid of it <laughs> Which, whichever whichever way it comes out it's going to succeed, and i mean it may come and go, but I'm sure the things do. But but like Star Trek, it's now an immovable object. It's just going to be there. Sherlock Holmes will always be there doctor who will always be there dracula will always be there that's just one of those things
0: well that's a that's a lot i mean to touch back on the point of the podcast and transformers reanimated a lot of the reason why i started this was not being particularly happy with the direction the comics have gone or the cartoons the current iteration of the cartoons and you know being an old fan uh just trying to fill in a gap and enjoy writing these stories
1: yeah, your grumpiness forced you into action.
0: Yes, I figured that would make you giggle. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think because the, the movies, the the, uh, the uh, CGI movies, uh live action CGI movies have uh, were terribly mixed response to those. Um, I I know they have huge fans, and they also have huge detractors as well. It's a, an interesting phenomenon. You, it's very hard for someone to get it right when they bring things into a new era i think
0: you know you you know love it or hate it it made a phenomenal amount of money there's a whole generation now that that's all they know and you know i'm not mad at them i don't hate them i meet them at conventions and talk to them about their love for it i i kind of feel like this mirrors what you were saying with doctor who like now transformers will always be around and 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 the intention the live-action movies have brought in have also allowed the toy companies and the publishers to touch base on the old-school stuff that a lot of us still really like and buy.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, it's, it's interesting to see the amount of things that are uh, Generation 1 stuff, which um, is surprising how much of that stuff is, is out there and I guess people you know fans coming to it from the movies uh, and the latest uh, um, series and comics it's the great thing with that and Doctor Who and Star Trek is that you can work backwards and there's so much to mine you know there's so much of that stuff that's out there they can get to grips with and find origins and uh, it's quite an interesting way of of coming to something going backwards I think
0: so let me ask you this question, because being an American, I am just poorly educated to begin with. But uh, uh, so <laughs> so all my friends, my wife included, love Doctor Who. There is a phenomenal resurgence in it. Why? I'm not even sure I'm asking the question correctly, but why do I feel like I am the only one who loves Red Dwarf?
1: Oh, uh well, I suppose because it never had as much uh traction in the states possibly. There's a lot of there are a lot of fans of Red Dwarf um in England and uh, Britain. Uh yeah, I mean and it's come back several times. Uh I think it's I, I'm not sure if it's still existent, but um uh yeah, no, there's enough uh, and also when the actors turn up at conventions they always have a very healthy uh, response but I guess it's one of those things that never made it to the States either I mean I don't know if it physically made it to the States but it didn't have the it's very quirky English stuff I, I guess it's like Doctor Who it's got that kind of slightly not really taking itself very seriously well obviously because it's comedy but it's it it's sort of it pokes fun at the genre a little and that's and I would have said that that's not a particularly American trait except of course it is now because you have uh, um, that famous TV series which I can never remember the name of uh, uh, where, the, where you've got comics and, and science fiction fans uh, kind of just geeking at each other um, you know there's a program out there somebody will know the name of it um, it's, it's, I think that you know, that, that that kind of ironic view of things, which over here in Britain, we tend to think that Americans don't have irony or don't get irony. But of course you do. You have to. It's, it's just that it's not as... Uh, it just hasn't been as mainstream, I, I guess. But no, Red Wolf is, is very much loved. Uh, I Yes, I worked... I did a potential Doctor Who strip and there was a potential Doctor Who... There was a potential Red Dwarf strip in it as well. Uh, back in the early 2000s, I did a... It, it didn't come to anything. It was a magazine that, that was being put together by a, the British publishers of the Radio Times, uh, which is a listings magazine, which um very close association with Doctor Who and BBC stuff. Um, but, no, it's, it's, it's still very popular, I think, here.
0: You know, I... In the early 90s, it was on our public access station, the first um, the first through third seasons, I think it was. And, you know, I was little at the time, but as I grew up, the stores here carried the DVD box sets, and I would pick those up. And um, they were definitely harder to purchase. The, the later seasons were harder to purchase, but I did get my hands on them, and God, I just, I just love that show, but... That's neither here nor there. I was just trying to figure out why does it feel like Red Dwarf is so underrated and underappreciated here. But uh, yeah, you're right. They just didn't show it on TV enough.
1: Well, I think that's really the answer, isn't it? You have to have, you know, you have to have the availability of it before people. I, you know, things can remain a cult. I mean, if they don't, if they don't get full, kind of, if there isn't a pu- public. Uh, awareness of them they'll never catch fire you know it's interesting because things are changing so much now with uh, the streaming services that i wonder how it will go because i guess that now if red dwarf were being made it would be and if it was made in america for example it would just go on one of those things and lots of people would see it straight away um i i guess it's time you know it the, the times are changing and the way that those things become available to the public is changing too. It's sort of, it, in a way, it's much harder to find things because there are so many things out there. Um, but once you do, the the rest of the internet takes care of letting everybody know it's there. You know, people, the social networking takes immediate hold of that stuff.
0: I think I think streaming is amazing and useful and a time saver. But I cannot tell you, I do not understand how people can binge watch an entire show, an entire season. Oh. I can see it when I was a kid, when I was time rich and cash poor. But man, nowadays, I just, I don't know where the time comes from. I mean, how do these people pull
1: it off? <laughs> well, uh, I can tell you in our house, that's what we do. Uh, um, but then I have no kids. Um You know, my my work isn't as strenuous as it once was. We and we kind of do it like one episode a night, and and it's not kind of it's not really hardcore um, binge watching, but it's kind of very steady. We've just done the whole of the the Man in the High Castle uh, in about two and a half weeks, I guess. You know, so that's quite quite a lot of stuff in one go. (laughs) <laughs> but I think you you will come to it once your kids grown up, and uh, you you know you'll see where that you'll, that time will come. As you buy your your pipe and slippers and uh, slip into a nice rocking chair, that will that age will come to you.
0: <laughs> so Transformers to Doctor Who. You've also worked on other titles, according to my notes, Thundercats.
1: Oh, well, Thundercats is kind of, um, <laughs> I mean, yes, I, I did three whole covers for Thundercats. and That's more of, than I've done. I'd be proud of that. That has become, <laughs> in every biography I've ever seen of my work, it's always there. And you think, I think that's really overstretching my relationship with them. You know? I did the first, third and fifth cover for uh, the British Thundercats uh comic strips and uh, and that's it <laughs> but, but good for them <laughs> i know it goes thunder there's a
0: there's a lot of nostalgia for the thundercats and yeah. it just hasn't been rebooted
1: in a manner that anyone can sink their teeth yeah, it's into a, i did think i mean because that was happening in parallel with transformers i was doing those covers um And I guess that if I hadn't gone on to do the Doctor Who stuff and then rather quickly the American stuff, Robocop, afterwards, um, I probably would have ended up doing comic strips for them. Um, Just just the the timing was wrong. But um, I I did buy uh, some of the toys because we had very little reference. I think it's something people don't get. When we were working on those Generation 1 stories and also with the, the uh, Thundercat stuff. And even with Doctor Who, well, there was a lot of photographs of Doctor Who, but with Transformers, we couldn't get our hands on the actual animated series. Uh, we had... What I had to work wh- from were various kind of photocopies of previous episodes. Um, not very extensive ones. And we had line drawings that were supplied by hasbro of the characters you know the the transformers uh universe book which has all the you know that the the black and white versions of those used as the uh, kind of the bible for the um uh, for the movie the transformers movie um so that's what they sent us uh and i augmented that because that didn't really tell you anything about the colors or anything so I augmented that by tearing out... We, had, we used to have these, uh, this store here called Argos, which we still do. It's a, it's a, a store where you, you have a catalogue... and you can select various things and then go and buy them. Um, and uh, they used to have... every issue of it had a various Transformer toys... Uh, in the back, in the toy section. And I would tear out those pages... Um, and I would stick them in a file... So that I knew the actual toy, what the t- actual toys looked like. Um, and that had a very funny consequence later on. I went to a convention, I suppose, about 20 years ago now, 15, 20 years ago. And I mentioned that I had this uh, folder. <laughs> and, and, and I have to say, an obscene amount of money was offered and taken. I have to say, I accepted that offer uh, for that folder. Because, and I just couldn't understand it. I, asked, why, what on earth do you want this, well, basically crap, uh, stuff? What do you what do you need it for? And he said we didn't know what we, as now grown up fans of Transformers, they had no idea what the original costs were. So this gave them information on what their things cost in the first place uh, it, it's so funny that something of absolutely no value to me at all was of absolute <laughs> the absolutely crucial interest to some people it's fabulous
0: uh, yeah it it blows my mind the different types of collecting within transformers that exist these what I'll classify as archaeologists oh, yeah. who are trying to literally recreate ads from the old stores in the eighties to figure out what the prices were.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was absolutely astonished. It, it, it had never occurred to me that that would be of passionate interest. I mean, I, I, I like the things themselves, and I, uh, in Doctor Who, for example, I've got, I've got thing and. Jerry Anderson's another very, very big part of my life, the uh Thunderbirds and that kind of uh the T V series from the uh from the sixties. Um I've no real interest in what they cost at the time, but I have the things and I love them with a passion. Uh but um but it's interesting that that, that it goes further back and people are have so much in depth knowledge of that stuff. And good for them. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah,
0: no, somebody who gets to read their posts on the internet from time to time. It's really entertaining
1: to me. It's just amazing. I I mean, I I love it. It is, there is nothing, I think there's just nothing in the world that isn't being collected by someone, you know, and they need to know everything about it. It's a very human trait. It's a very particularly, I think, boy human, male human trait, I think in particular. My wife collects shoes, but that's not quite the same thing as collecting, uh, uh, you know, Daleks. I have about 150 Daleks in my collection, including a full-size one in the shed, Um, uh, which is another story. So let's touch base a little bit. You've,
0: uh, You've worked on Thundercats. You've worked on Death's Head. You've worked on Robocop. Yeah, um, you've worked on William Shatner's Trek World. Tech World, yeah.
1: Tech yeah. World, excuse it, it's me. It's so nearly Trek World, but Tech World is what it was. Yeah, that was that was a real hoot working on that because, like I said, I was a a big Star Trek original series fan, and I was a big fan initially of uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy as uh, a Spock. But as I grew older, I got to appreciate Kirk a lot more. I love Shatner's approach to the role. Um, and I think that he was the linchpin. I think without Shatner, Star Trek would not have happened. Um, I think he was just the solid core of it, no matter what people... You know, he's not exactly the, taken seriously in some areas, but he he pulled that whole series together as a leading actor. Uh, so I was... Uh, you know, I, I, I loved that. I loved the return of Star Trek in the movies. Um, and then... I, you know, this this opportunity came to, up to work on this um, comic book and I thought, well, wow, uh, that would be wonderful to work on that because maybe in some strange part of the universe uh, William Shatner will be looking at this thing that I've done and that will be extremely funny to me. You know, I love that, the circle of life, you know, <laughs> you know, Kirk, Kirk you know was my hero of childhood and in so many iterations and comics and uh toys and all that kind of stuff and um and then suddenly here i am working for and that's just marvelous and it actually proved to be so because uh uh i went to the shops as a life of a freelance i work at home i work in a, a little village uh between two main towns in, in uh, a, a fairly pleasant part of southern england not that far away from london but you know so i went up to the shops to get some groceries and um i came back and there was an answer machine flashing light and it was uh, it was mr shatner himself and he said i've uh lee i've missed you i i wanted so much to talk to you uh I'd like to talk to you about the, the comic book and how we're going to, ch- they were doing a TV series and how he wanted to change it. And I just thought wonderful. This is my point of contact is this telephone conversation, which I didn't have. Uh, and um, he said, I'm moving on from here now. I'll call you. I'll, I'll, I'll call you when I get where I'm going. And so, I, okay, fair enough. And I just sat by the phone for the next three weeks waiting for the call. And, Eventually, we ran out of groceries, and so I had to go up the, to the the shops again. And I got back, and there was another message, and um, it was here's another message from him. And uh, of all I, this, I, you know, I can tell you, that I count on the fingers of half a hand how many times I would leave the house during a week, and each time, you know, Shatner calls, and it, Lee, I've, I have missed you again, and uh, this, this, I I can't bear this anymore. So I managed. Through sheer uh, stalkery desperation, I knew what his production company name was. So I got that from someone and I rang up and uh, got immediately put through to him. And then we just had a conversation, which was... I, I, I recorded it. Uh, and I have to say, it's the most shameful performance you've ever heard of someone meeting their hero I really had nothing to say, I was tongue-tied, I couldn't speak in coherent sentences, it was hopeless. But but nevertheless, he made the mistake of inviting me out to Toronto uh, to see the filming, if you're passing by, he said... I thought, well, that's all the <laughs> as a seriously stalkery kind of guy. That's all you need to say to me. <laughs> and we managed to, with along with the writer Evan Skolnick, we we managed to create a path where I would go to New York, uh, do a convention or something, and then go on and do uh, go to the Toronto and watch them filming. So uh, we hung out on set for a couple of days while he was uh, directing and filming the first episode of tech war and and so it, it was utterly marvelous and what a wonderful the comics as i said earlier are not the most rewarding financially um thing you can be doing but there are moments which are just priceless and that was one of them certainly certainly sitting in the back of a local people carriers in those days like an uh, i suppose a suv these days that kind of thing it, it looked a little bit like a, a, a trek shuttle and uh I sat in the back, and he was taking the mickey out of my British accent. Uh, he was going, fuh, that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, and I just thought, I looked at him, and his, his profile is just, you know, Captain Kirk. You know you're looking at Captain Kirk. And I was, sitting in the, I was sitting in the back of a shuttle with Captain Kirk, and he was taking the mickey out of my voice. Fantastic. I should have said, you are taking the mickey out of my voice. <laughs> I didn't dare do that. I would do now, but I didn't dare do it then.
0: No doubt you're going to bump into a collector now that's going to want a copy of that recording.
1: <laughs> ah, that will fetch a very hefty price. <laughs> they have to have deep pockets.
0: <laughs> Mr. Sullivan, let's switch gears. Okay. Talk to me about rock saxophoning.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, that's... Uh... Well, it's kind of linked in some strange ways. Um, yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm a big fan of the rock band from the 1970s and 80s called Roxy Music. Uh, Brian Ferry was the lead singer and Andy Mackay was a saxophonist. And I bumped into the saxophonist uh, unexpectedly on holiday um, many years ago and I just thought, I've always loved this band and now he's said See, this stalkery thing comes back he said he came into a restaurant where I was sitting preposterously with four girls in the middle of this big restaurant in a hotel there's no one else in the room Uh, he walked in he came right up to me I think because I was the only guy and said is this restaurant open? now that You see, people should be careful about the sort of things they say to people like me, because that that meant... I then went to the concert that was on that evening. I watched him playing a particular track. I then got home, bought myself, borrowed some saxophones, and then bought some saxophones, learned how to play them. Twenty years later, I was in a Roxy Music tribute band uh, playing the same track that, that I'd seen, which fired me up in the first place um and we toured all over I, I was they're still going but i toured all over britain for about 10 years with them uh, so it was terribly amusing that that <laughs> it must be bewildering for 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 these guys to know that such a small thing will generate an enormous wave of uh, of, of consequences you know and that it has a it has a marvelous ending to it because, because I was this kind of stalkery guy. What I I did was I I would send Mackay these cartoons of himself at various, you know, when he was forty, when he was fifty, when he was sixty, and so we kind of had a tiny point of contact, and then he contacted me a while later. To work on potentially a project which didn't come to anything, but it's, I suppose, it's still out there. Um, which was kind of amusing because that was because I'd been pestering him with these drawings, and I sent him a piece of Judge Dread artwork which I'd drawn him in, uh, a piece of uh, comic strip art, and um, he, uh, you know, kind of bore me in mind. And I, as a parallel, back when I was working on Transformers and early stuff, I sold comic book art through a. Uh, a shop in London called Comics Showcase and unbeknownst to me one of the guys behind the counter I, I can't remember talking to him then but I knew he introduced himself to me a few years ago when I was at a comics convention and he said we have a mutual friend and I said oh okay who's that uh he said Andy Mackay and I thought well that's kind of weird and it gets weirder because he's subsequently, currently, Andy Mackay's manager. And because of that, I've just completed the second album cover artwork for my hero, Andy Mackay. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what I was saying about comics kind of leads you down um, strange and interesting paths, and occasionally utterly bizarre ones. That That is so ludicrously, stupidly strange. It doesn't really bear thinking about.
0: And you've posted that artwork on your Facebook page, right? Our listeners can go check that out, right?
1: Oh, very much kind of uh, current, yeah, yeah. That's one of those things that when it happens, you think, (laughs) well, you know, if I don't publicize this, there's no point to Facebook. (laughs) That's so cool to be in a position like that and be
0: involved with
1: your idol. That's just crazy. But it is, and it's so. There are, but it shows you how connections work. Yeah, um, because those things, you know, I, I, I literally, I mean, I know him well now. But, but um, Johnny Armstrong, his manager, I only peripherally. I would have said hello to him, and maybe he had a few conversations. I was talking to his, the shop owner, m- most of the time, but he remembered me, and so this thing kind of bounced backwards and forwards. But for those kind of things to come together is so unlikely, and yet they kind of are inevitable. If you if you put yourself in a particular direction, it's surprising how far those things go, you know? and absolutely not in my control. I mean, none of those things, none of the things I've explained throughout this <laughs> bewildering uh, uh, sequence of events about comics, they're none of those things I was in control of. People talk about a career, but I see a career as being careering from one thing to another. It's <laughs> not, you don't... You know, I've never managed to steer myself in a direction, but what you do is you kind of set up things, for example, in if the, if you want to do comics, you have to do samples, and so the samples you do and who you send them to start a chain of events possibly and you don't know where that's gonna go and, and a long way down the line things come back and and you think, well oh God, how did that happen? But on the other hand, in a way, I don't believe in fate, but they are kind of, when you look retrospectively it looks like fate, you know, because of course I would get to do a cover for my hero Andy Mackay. Except you know, my fifteen year old self, when I first started you know becoming aware of them i i you know that they were gods to me i couldn't you know it was like they were another world they might as well have been the transformers you know un- 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 unreachable you know it kind of loops
0: back to comics doesn't it because didn't you include Mackay's music signs and storefronts
1: and the backgrounds of some of the oh yeah in the very first strip i did yeah in in that um altered image in the in the british comic uh annual uh yeah, I, I, Mackay's music has been there quite a lot. <laughs> it's just, I don't know why. They're kind of in jokes that you put in. And, and I think, I worked on Thunderbirds comic, and I put quite a lot of drawings of Roxy Music being rescued in various situations. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, he's aware of them, he must just think i'm a nutcase i think or, or at least a benevolent one a benign nutcase you know. I, uh, that you're because you become obsessed by things and you know i put him in in judge dread a proper portrait of him in his pomp his 1973 pomp uh being arrested by a judge ferry uh just because that amused me enormously it had nothing to do with the story it was just a foreground piece of detail you know that's, stuff was happening in extreme far uh, background but I just put these things in the foreground because they just amuse me and he owns that piece of artwork and you know I've done his covers and it's just mad really you should always be kind of lively to alive to um I think what I have done is I've tried to I've tried to contact people that I admire a lot in some kind of way or another and it I've been lucky that a lot of those things have sort of turned out, but I would thoroughly recommend very stealthy, long-term, uh, and subtle stalking. It's it seems to work. You know.
0: Let me let me let let me, let me dig down this music hole just a little bit further. Me being a music guy myself, I am always curious. Oh, what do you do? What do
1: you do? What do you, what's what's your musical involvement?
0: Oh, uh, a, a lifetime ago, I was a
1: drummer. Oh, right. Okay, well, there you are.
0: Um, but um, as someone who really loves music and appreciates it and listens to it constantly, that's probably why I don't stream anything. Um, How do you listen to your music? Uh, do you walk around with an iPod? Do you have a record player spinning? Do you have an 8-track player
1: in your car? How do you enjoy listening to your music? Um... Well it changes, I suppose, every now and again. Um, I used to listen to music all the time. I don't listen to music very much now it's much more i suppose because your time becomes used in different ways i I've recently in a desperate effort to remain alive into the next year uh i've I've joined a gym uh, I'm suffering terrible knee problems as a result. Beware. Uh, is all I'm saying. Um, but generally, uh, getting a bit fitter, uh, and that is great. I have my Bluetooth headphones, uh, and I I listen to my I what are they called? Oh God, what are they called that iPod? That's so old history, isn't it? That they, the oh, amazing things move on. Anyway, I listen to that uh, while I'm doing my uh, um, thrashing about on these various machines. Uh, and um, and that's really where I list, concentratedly listen to music Or in the car if I'm doing long journeys um, I have a really nice system in my car And, uh, you know, that that's lovely to listen to I find if I'm listening to music at home I nearly always then have to pick up my saxophones And start playing along to it Or I'm trying to learn something new for the band that I'm in now um, And so I don't listen to music in the same intense way that I used to all the time because also when I'm working I always have listened to speech radio I I find it hard to listen to music when I'm drawing because it agitates me in a good way I I want to jump around you know and uh, sing or you know Ah, play the sax or whatever. I've got some guitars which I really shouldn't have because I'm really terrible on them. But, um, you know, I have a telecaster which I occasionally knock seven bells out of. And, um, uh, uh, you know, those things are great. But I can't do that when I'm drawing. So I, I find if I'm listening to speech radio, somehow that is much more neutral for me. And I can follow, you know, quite. We have a wonderful radio station here called Radio 4 which has an immensely broad um, range of interesting and some not interesting things but dramas and documentaries and kind of chat shows and informative things so, You know, there's loads and loads of interesting things on uh, and I listen to that a lot now when I'm uh, working because it doesn't distract me from working so much but it's my, I think yeah, I think I really like playing now, as much as I enjoy listening to music. I feel I have to play if I'm listening to it, and nothing else. So. You'll get back into drumming. You wait. My wife made the terrible error one day. And this is what you. This is. This is advice from a man who knows. Listen for the opportunities when they arise. We were walking, in an immensely, pretty chocolate boxy kind of. Um, uh, part of Austria or somewhere like that, so uh, some place like that where they have cow bells and shout, you know those little cuckoo clock houses. And it's fantastic, beautiful sunny day, and I was kind of walking along and I was waggling my fingers you know, because I really wanted to be playing my saxophone. <laughs> I suppose the Alpine air was getting to me, and um, uh, and Joe, my wife, said to me, "Well." Why don't you uh well, you should you should put an advert in a you know in a music shop or something and uh see if you can join a band because I'd never been in a band properly I'd been playing the saxophone for 20 years in my bedroom uh until I, a few people started to say it sounded okay you know um and so I that just led to an uh, <laughs> as far as she was concerned an absolute nightmare of me being on the road for the next most weekends for the next ten years, you know, doing the Roxy Magic uh, tribute band. You know? So it was, um, yeah. But you listen out for those things. One day, someone will say to you, oh, "Why don't you get a drum kit then, or or, or whatever it is that, that you know that you need? Why don't you just go for uh, join a band, and then you'll, you know, you'll make them pay for that. <laughs> but you'll have a good time."
0: Oh, I, I had a good time when I played, and I'm looking forward to when I can do it again. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, careering, being what it is, maybe one day you and I will get to play together. Who knows? I would be totally up for it.
1: When you're over, if we, you know, if it can be arranged, we could, we'll do that.
0: That is very kind of you to
1: say. I had a, a, an amazing thing with... Uh, actually, a friend of mine is called Nicky Forbes, and he was in a band called the rivillos that i really liked uh, and he produced a um, an autobiography and it sounded fantastic and and it i have to say it's one of the best rock and roll um, uh, it's called the rhythm method by nicky forbes if you can manage to get a copy it is a an absolute it it tells you, if you haven't always wanted to be in a rock and roll band uh, and kind of feel you missed out. It it tells you why you 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 did the right thing because <laughs> it's an absolute nightmare of an existence. But it's terribly funny and terribly exciting and s- so many unlikely things in it. Uh, but anyway, he he brought out the autobiography. and so I shot him an email, um, and we became pals on the internet because I could do illustrations and he was working for a place that could, could commission illustrations. And uh, and I ended up, I think, I just reposted something on Facebook that uh, I played on stage with those guys, the the Ravillos, Stroke the Rizzillos, um, uh, about three years ago at his 60th birthday party. And it's just, how did that <laughs> God, if I hadn't met Andy Mackay in a restaurant, you know, it's it's so weird the connections and but you do kind of sometimes i am the sort of person that will try and make some kind of contact and i and my wife is always so she sighs every time i do it you know oh, you've done it again you've, you've you've talked to them haven't you i said yeah
0: because right not. no i 100 percent agree with you yeah so maybe we will play maybe nice. i just have to continue saving up money and come to tf nation yeah Gosh, maybe, maybe we could form a house band. There you go. I can rent a drum kit somewhere from there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. All right, one last subject I'd like to talk to you about, sir, and I think it's something you and I both share a fascination with, and that's space travel and rocket ships and space exploration of the final frontier. Yes. Um, and in stalking your page... Um, You know, I recently saw it myself, but holy cow, was the Apollo 11 movie documentary amazing or what? Oh, it was fantastic. I cannot Uh, believe there was that much footage taken at the time.
1: Now, it's utterly remarkable, isn't it? Uh, There's another very good movie called uh, For All Mankind, which has some other scenes that that didn't make it into uh, the Apollo 11 uh, there's also a thing called Mission Control, which is a very good uh, documentary about the the guys actually, you know, in Mission Control, and what that entailed, and the whole thing is just utterly fascinating. Um, but beautiful, beautiful. Those those film, the the, the I think it's thirty five millimeter film they took on the ground, of all the stuff that was happening, you know, on, on Earth's side, and I think they used sixteen millimeter or perhaps eight millimeter, super eight maybe. Uh, uh, in the Apollo capsules and so on but utterly wonderful there are some staggering images um, I know there's a there's a whole bunch of people that deny it but you know it's it doesn't really bear thinking about because no one can keep conspiracies like that secret for very long and um, and anyway Mr Kubrick was doing other things at the time if Mr Kubrick was working on it he'd still be working on it god despite being dead uh yeah it it, but it's such amazing stuff and it was such a magnificent high point uh a cultural high point in america's history and you know obviously the whole world you know likes to take the credit
0: on some level the whole
1: world chipped in on that it wasn't uh, solely us well, I mean, there was a, the, the, well, there was these other guys called the Russians. I don't know; you've probably heard of those. But, but they, they, the Soviets were were a major boost to that, um, and it, in it, just the trading off of, uh, I mean, it, it's a magnet What I was going to say was, it's a magnificent achievement, and it's a high cultural point in in your country's uh, existence at a time when uh, Vietnam was going on all the. Possibly come kind of as some of the cultural lows were taking place, uh, the race riots and all that kind of stuff were going on, terrible things were going on around the world. But it's one of the shining things that that was done at the time, sometimes for the wrong reasons, I think, because it was all part of the arms race, nevertheless. You know, who controls space controls the world, I suppose, which is, you know, still current thinking, obviously, or resurgent thinking. Um but it's it's a. It depresses me when people uh, want to deny it because it's one of the great, truly great achievements. There's nothing else like it, you know, to be able to leave a world, to have the culture that is represented by that, which means that the mathematical education uh, in the, the the ladies that did the calculations for the orbits and all that kind of stuff that just that alone is a remarkable high point in human existence i think i have a tiny piece of apollo 11 about five feet away from me now there's uh, there's the this wonderful mini museum thing where they uh they take tiny fragments of of things dinosaurs whatever and they put them tiny one millimeter square piece of gold foil that was on the command module of Apollo 11 and I've got one of those and even if it's not real I think it's fantastic
0: (laughs) Do you follow what is going on currently with SpaceX and low orbit satellites and everything?
1: Yeah um, because SpaceX particularly is so funny because uh, I've got books of uh, in the 1960s everybody wanted to be an astronaut when they grew up it was obvious that that was what we were mostly going to be doing uh if when we were not going to be cowboys uh, strange sort of or railway drivers but because that was the great thing that i've got plenty of books that were produced at the time talking about the planets talking about travelling to the moon talking about you know all kinds of interstellar stuff and um, the, there was a time when looking back at those books, the rocket ships look utterly ridiculous because they all land on their tails. And, do you know, it is. It, because I mean, you had Apollo and you had these spidery craft and then you had the space shuttle, and, and none of that stuff looks like those books, except SpaceX comes along, just comes down, lands on its tail entire you like, think, my God, the world has really... That has really turned around on itself, you know. And they've made what seemed ridiculous in the 1970s, looking at it. It's now everyday occurrence. I- I'm sure that... It's an everyday occurrence. At least in this
0: country, the media doesn't focus on it. I mean, how awe-inspiring is it that just last week... They successfully landed for the forty-fifth time the reusable rocket. Let's see more of that and less of the violence going on.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the thing is that the the bad things that are going on in the world they always um, excite journalism. They always excite popular uh, you know response to you know mass shootings, whatever. Of course, they are extremely. Uh, Extremely interesting things to focus on it's sad that those the good stuff doesn't get shown in parallel with that because like I say the, the, the 1960s are an absolute case in point you have the wonderful things that are going on um, in getting man onto the moon and then you have all the, the other stuff that's going on and how quickly the public tired of the good stuff You know, it lasted three years, four years, and then the public were done with it, you know, and on to the next thing. It's a shame. I think people... people, Also, uh, so when things become routine, they become less interesting generally, I think, you know, to people. But it is utterly fantastic that stuff's going on, and it will change the world again, you know, the, the fact that we can go kind of willy-nilly now into space and resupply and go further and consider making Martian, you know, the, the next step to Mars, those are those are things which push technologies and they push thought about, um, I guess, things that are happening on Earth into context. And uh, the environmental problems are things that, you know, they have parallels on Earth too there's a lot going on at the moment.
0: (laughs) There is. There is. It could just be more in our face, I think. It's such a positive thing, and um, I I enjoy it. Uh, I'll have to send you this link. I've been following the history of stamps and space stamps and stamps that were canceled in space. That's uh, being a bit of a No, I wouldn't officially call myself a philatelist, but I'm into stamps to some degree.
1: (laughs) Only your closest friends would say that of you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But seeing how my two hobbies intersected in history fascinates me. Yeah,
1: I've got some... I I, I was collecting stamps when I was... um, I suppose when the Apollo missions were happening, and there were an awful lot of um, stamps issued by oh, I don't know, Magia Post, I don't even know where that is, I've no idea, but I have thousands of space, I just like the images that they produced, they, they would just, you know, produce 25 different stamps a week, I think, whereas in Britain, we'd get like five sets of five a year, you know, uh, you know, whether we liked it or not, uh, and, um, but these other countries, Yugoslavia and those places are just be churning them out by the bucket load and I've got lots of, of space stamps from them. nothing that's been actually up and back and down and all those kind of things and I've got my tiny fragment of Apollo 11 That's it's all condensed into that one millimetre square piece of foil they, they recommend that you don't open the capsule that it's in uh, bec- uh, because you you may accidentally inhale it <laughs>
0: Oh jeez, That's way for
1: thin then. But but in a way, kinda of,
0: doesn't that make you want to? Oh god. <laughs> Space is a part of me now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one with the Apollo mission. It's as though I went there. <laughs> dear oh dear, what a world.
0: Well, Mr. Sullivan, I really want to thank you for your time today. This has been a very pleasurable experience. I learned a lot, and sincerely thank you for your help on this comic, and thank you for your time today.
1: Oh, working on the comic was a pleasure. It was lovely to go down a memory memory lane, um, kind of muscle reflex kind of thing. to do the cover it was really really enjoyable it came out looking very nice and i'm glad if people like it that's that's fantastic be nice to work with you um and uh the i love interviews because you find things out about other people and you find things out about yourself they're always interesting
0: they certainly are to me and nice is not a strong enough word for the work you handed in
1: i really appreciate it sir (laughs) very nice then i'll accept very nice
0: are you the type of person who is open to commissions? Do you want to share your Facebook page or some
1: contact information? I can include
0: that people can get a hold of you.
1: Oh, sure, they can uh, visit. You can contact me through my website or through Facebook. I'm out there. There's a there's a. I've got a uh, rather me. I've got a page which I set up on Facebook called uh, Lee Sullivan Art. Um, I, I hardly ever look at it. It's it's much better to come to me directly on facebook i'm lee sullivan i've got there's a picture of me and my lassie dog uh, you'll find me pretty easily so i'm i'm i am contactable through that also through my website there's an email uh, contact on there too so yes you can put all that stuff out there i do do commissions when i get the time it kind of depends on the projects that i'm on just at the minute actually in the new year i will be relatively open to doing them um until the two projects which i'm supposed to be working on uh um actually get underway properly so yeah do that in fact even if you don't want a commission just come and say hello i'm i'm very uh sociable kind of guy
0: you certainly are i'll make sure uh, there are clickable links down below in the show notes for people who check out the
1: website do you have a website for your band oh uh, my current band is alchemy um uh who i should have mentioned earlier um Ah, uh, well, yes, I guess we do. Um, I'll try and sort that out. We certainly have a Facebook presence, <laughs> uh, but you won't see much of it. Uh, you may see some of it there, but there's a there's a clip of me bellowing my head off in uh, in a, in a um, to an unsuspecting audience recently, um, which will which will perplex most of your listeners, I've no doubt, on my Facebook thing So you can check that out too. I'm such a shy, retiring type. You'll you'll notice.
0: Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, sir. Again, everything will be found down below in our show notes for anyone who wants to take a closer look or wants to send you a commission request. But thank you very much, sir. I really appreciated it. Okay. Nice to speak to you.